Hello, and welcome to the Rare Possessions Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Galletti, and joining me each week to give us insights and perspectives is the archivist from Book of Mormon Central, Jared Riddick. Welcome, Jared. Thank you for having me. The Rare Possessions Podcast features selections from Book of Mormon Central's archives, including rare and important books pertaining to the Book of Mormon. Each week, we'll present a new chapter of the book in audiobook format, starting with a brief history on the document or book and offering engaging commentary on the chapter featured in that episode. But before we begin into our first book, Life of Nephi by George Q. Cannon, Jared, what is the Book of Mormon Central Archive, and for what purpose was it established? Uh, the archive was one of the uh, central parts of the vision for Book of Mormon Central from the beginning. Um, it was envisioned as a clearinghouse database of Book of Mormon research, scholarship, and media, as much as we could bring together about the Book of Mormon under one roof. Well organized with good bibliographic information, a resource for scholars and lay members of the church alike, uh, something that they could go to and find items for their personal study, for their academic research, what have you. We also wanted to make a goal of this uh, archive to, you could say, find little known items, uh, items that have been forgotten. The rare. The rare. Um, for instance, this book that we're covering today, The Life of Nephi, the Son of Lehi, was published in 1883. Uh, most members of the church would never have heard of it uh, unless they ventured into a used bookstore that happened to, have a, happened to have a copy. And it was written by a member of the First Presidency, which just goes to show how things can be forgotten. Exactly. So this is a physical archive. There is a physical location. This isn't just digital. We have a uh, physical in-house research library. Uh, not everything in our in-house library is on the online archive for copyright reasons, etc. And for reasons of rarity, not everything on the online archive is actually in the physical library. We actually don't have a physical copy of this book. I haven't been able to find one for a reasonable price yet. <laughs> um, so we'll see what happens there. Hope to find one in the future. So that's part of the purpose of this podcast is to help expose some of the individuals out there to what is available in the Book of Mormon Central Archives. And this particular item, this particular title, again, is The Life of Nephi, Son of Lehi, written by George Q. Cannon in 1883. What else can you tell us about the history of this book? Um, well, it was part of what was called the Faith Promoting Series. Um, it was published by technically the, the juvenile instructor. Which was what for those? Which that don't was know. kind of it was an it was an, a magazine targeted towards the youth and what we now would call the young single adults of the church. Uh, it was meant to be faith promoting, also to have some scholastic merit to help members of the church. Kind of a new era, but a little bit more. Okay. Less of the comics, more with the articles. <laughs> this was published monthly. Uh, the the juvenile instructor, yes, I believe, was published monthly. It wasn't wasn't the official publication arm for the Sunday School, the Deseret Sunday School Union as it was called then, but it was essentially the de facto one. It was what they, what, member, what members of the church leadership used to get messages out to the youth. And in this particular case, this book is about 108 pages long. Mm -hmm. So it's not long for a book, but it seems long for a magazine. Indeed, indeed. So it was, a, it was a series of books that George Q. Cannon decided he wanted to put out to reach the youth. Uh, originally, he envis had envisioned doing m many more biographies of Book of Mormon figures, um, but that didn't quite happen as much. A lot of the Faith Morning series also focuses on missionary work. As uh, a matter of fact, the first volume uh, is called My First Mission. It's a delightful read about Elder Cannon's mission in Hawaii. Uh, there's also uh, Leaves from My Journal from um, Wilford Woodruff. Uh, John Taylor, who I believe was president of the church by then, also contributed a volume. There was a lot of really good stuff in here of apologetic value to encourage missionary work, etc., Excellent. So this particular volume was published. This 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 is volume nine. It's about mid run. Okay. Uh, Seventeen volumes were published in total from eighteen seventy nine to I believe nineteen fifteen. 
Do we have any ind indication as to how this was received or used by the church at the time? It was published alongside a series of articles in the magazine itself. Um, it was probably enjoyed by a, a number of the youth in Utah, but I don't think its influence spread much beyond there. So this particular first chapter, let's go ahead and move on to that. The first chapter and the preface for that matter go over some interesting information about the Book of Mormon that maybe we don't often consider when mm -hmm. we crack it open and read it. So what is the first chapter going over? The first chapter essentially sets up the scene uh, with Lehi making the prayer he does unto the Lord in 1 Nephi 1. And it's, it's his background, what's been going on in Jerusalem. I mean, this is a time of immense turmoil for the nation. They've gone through four kings in a very short period. Yeah, it was like three months long, and they would yeah, some of them, turn over. It was yeah, really bad. Yeah, they'd take over as king for some stupid reason. They'd rebel, and then... Uh, come in, I can't remember the king's name, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, <laughs> would come in and uh, take them over. The king would surrender, and then he'd appoint a new king. And so you're seeing a very short turnover, a lot of turmoil. And to keep in mind, too, that Lehi himself, although he may have been dwelt in Jerusalem all his days, he's from the tribe of Manasseh. He's from the northern kingdom. He knows what it's like to lose his homeland, and he's got to be worried he's going to lose this one, too. And so he's, this chapter really sets up the backstory for Lehi, why he's so nervous. So this Why is, he wants to know what's going on with the Lord. This would be the, the prequels mm -hmm. to the Book of Mormon. But with less uh, CGI, <laughs> uh, less Jar Jar Banks, <laughs> less, less bad romance. So in, in this, as we go through the history, sometimes when we read history, even contextual history like this is, there's always this wonder by the reader of why this is relevant. Why does this matter to what is going on with the people that we're reading about? There is some added importance to this history because it impacts... Jacob and his allegory of the olive tree. How do those two mix together? Um, there are some scholars who believe that Jacob's allegory of the olive tree, with its various branches being dunged, going bad, etc., is a direct reflection on this history of, of Jerusalem at this time with the various kings. The pe people that Zenos was teaching would have known, would have understood what was going on with his allegory. It would have been obvious to them. It's less obvious to us. That's the opinion of some scholars there. So what we are learning in chapter 1 right off the bat in the life of Nephi, is actually something that gives context later on in the Book of Mormon. Yes, I believe so. Okay. And with that being said, the idea of learning about these types of contexts, again, helps us to understand how the scriptures were written and the audience at its time. So, But we do have this understanding also that the Book of Mormon was written for our day. So what sorts of things should a modern-day reader try and glean from knowing this history? Um, knowing that Political turmoil and anxiousness is, is not unique, and that men and women of God have, have turned to the Lord to seek solace and receive answers to what's going to happen to them uh, throughout history. Lehi is us, and we have a responsibility, I think, to learn from his example and what he did. Maybe not go into the wilderness with a tent, per <laughs> se, uh, but certainly to have the same devotion to the Lord that he did in the midst of hard times. Excellent. All right, so we will... Uh now turn to the text of Life of Nephi, and next week we'll move on to chapter two and have you back. All right, look forward to it. The Life of Nephi, the Son of Lehi, written by George Q. Cannon. Title page. The Life of Nephi, the Son of Lehi, who emigrated from Jerusalem in Judea to the land which is now known as South America about six centuries before the coming of the Savior. This is the ninth book of the faith-promoting series by George Q. Cannon of the First Presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.
originally published by the Juvenile Instructor Office in Salt Lake City, Utah, 1883. Preface Some years since the desire took possession of me to write the life of Nephi, the son of Lehi, and as time and opportunity should permit, the lives of other prominent men of his race of whom we have an account in the Book of Mormon, so as to form a series of biographies for the perusal of the young. My aim was to make the children of our church familiar with the events described in the Book of Mormon, and with some of the prominent men of that mighty people of which Nephi was one of the greatest progenitors. Various causes, the principal one of which has been the pressure of other and more exacting labors, have prevented me from carrying my design into execution until the present time. I have felt that as I owed so much of my own success in life to the important and interesting lessons contained in that precious record, it was a duty incumbent upon me to do all in my power to have it read and appreciated as widely as possible by every member of our church, especially by the rising generation. The age in which we live is one of doubt and unbelief. Skepticism is spreading. All faith in divine things, as taught by the ancient servants of God, is being unsettled. Man's reason is being extolled as a higher standard than God's revelations. The personality of God, the origin of man and his fall, the atonement of the Savior, the places of reward and punishment known as heaven and hell, and the existence of a personal devil are all questioned and, by many members of religious sects, denied. The Bible is no longer accepted as a reliable standard only so far as its teachings may agree with the new and fashionable views entertained respecting religion and science. Fortunately for us, we are in a position to stem and turn this tide of infidelity so that it shall not overwhelm our young people. We are not dependent upon the Bible alone for our knowledge concerning these grand, cardinal truths over which the world is stumbling and debating. We have other records, amongst the most important of which is the Book of Mormon, which corroborate and furnish ample proofs of their heavenly origin. We have the teachings and foreknowledge of men living in lands far apart and races widely separated, and they agree in their testimonies and sustain the divinity of the truths which are taught by the Son of God himself and by his inspired servants. The prophet Nephi, whose life we here present, was one of the greatest and most advanced of these teachers of heavenly truths. There have been but few men, so far as we know, who comprehend and spoke and wrote about them as plainly as did he. He had a personal knowledge of the doctrines, principles, and facts respecting which men now dispute. He has written fully upon them. His testimony, therefore, is worth more to the world than any number of men's opinions and theories. And best of all, it carries within itself the highest evidence of its truth. This is characteristic of his writings, and of all the writings in the Book of Mormon. To every humble, prayerful soul, the perusal of that book is a solace. It produces peace and joy, and brings the clear conviction that it is God's Word. No arguments are required to prove this. Men have assailed and denounced it, but the indisputable truth still remains that when read with a meek spirit and a prayerful heart, the testimony of its divine origin descends like refreshing dew from heaven upon the reader, and he knows by the Spirit and power of God that it is his word. That the life of Nephi may have the effect to increase faith and stimulate inquiry, and the more careful perusal of the divine records which the Lord has given to us is the most earnest desire of the author. The Life of Nephi 
Chapter 1 Of all the lives which have come down to us in the ancient records, there is probably not one, excepting our Savior's, which can be studied with more profit than that of Nephi, the son of Lehi. The influence which he exerted over his associates was most wonderful, but it did not end there. We think we do not overrate it when we say that no man of this nation of which he was the founder did so much as he towards giving shape to the methods of government, to the forms of worship, and to the mode of life which prevailed for about a thousand years among that people. He was to them what Moses was to the children of Israel, and though the Nephite nation was prolific in great men, there was not one, it seems to us, who exceeded, if indeed he came up in every particular to the full measure of his greatness. So far as the record of his life has come down to us, it presents the picture of a man of such perfections as has rarely been seen on earth. He does not leave us in doubt as to why this was the case. The success which attended all his undertakings he claimed no credit for. At no time does he indulge in self-glorification, but in all that he says the disposition to give God the glory is very apparent. He gives him the glory for all of it. To this, more than any other cause, do we attribute the prosperity which attended him through life, and which made him the truly great man that he was. Speaking of himself, he says that he had been highly favored of the Lord in all his days. Nephi, the son of Lehi, was born at Jerusalem. The exact year of his birth is not given, but we can form a very good idea of the time from what he says respecting himself. His father Lehi and family left Jerusalem 600 years before the coming of the Savior. Nephi, alluding to himself soon after this, while they were in the wilderness, describes himself as exceeding young, nevertheless large in stature. The record leads us to the conclusion that he was a man in size, though a boy in years, probably not more than 15 years old. From the language of his brother Jacob in the beginning of his book, we infer that Nephi did not live long after year 55 of their exodus from Jerusalem. Jacob says he began to be old. He was doubtless at least 70 years old at that time. We judge, therefore, that he was born not far from the year 615 B.C. This would be in the reign of Josiah, the father of Zedekiah, whose reign closed between 11 and 12 years before the latter was put upon the throne of Judah by the conqueror Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. We are not told as to how his childhood was spent. It is evident, however, that his father was in affluent circumstances, for besides his house and land, he had gold, silver, and other precious things in abundance. In fact, so much of this kind of personal property did he have that upon one occasion it was coveted. As we shall see as we proceed with his history, as was the cause of an attempt to kill Nephi and his three older brothers. Nephi himself says he was born of goodly parents, and he doubtless received an education suitable to his station. He was taught somewhat in the learning of his father. Lehi had always lived at Jerusalem. He was a descendant of Manasseh, the oldest son of Joseph, who was sold by his brothers. He must have witnessed stirring times in his native city. For though he doubtless shared in the peace and prosperity which prevailed during the long and successful reign of the faithful king Josiah, he saw no less than four kings on the throne of Judah in the brief space of eleven or twelve years. King Josiah was succeeded by his son Jehoahaz, whose reign of three months was brought to a close by the king of Egypt, carrying him to Egypt and laying the land of Judah under tribute and making Jehoiakim, his brother, 
king instead. Jehoiakim reigned eleven years, and in the first part of his reign was a tributary to the king of Egypt who had put him on the throne. Afterwards, he fell into the power of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and for three years he acknowledged him as his superior. Then he rebelled. But there was a curse upon him and his family because of his wickedness. The Lord had taken their strength from them. They could not break the yoke of the foe which was raised up against them. Josephus informs us that the king of Babylon made an expedition against Jerusalem and was received by the king Jehoiakim into the city. But he slew such as were the flower of their age, and such as were of the greatest dignity, together with their king Jehoiakim, whom he commanded to be thrown before the wall without any burial. Jehoiakim was succeeded by his son Jehoiachin, whose inglorious reign of a little over three months was terminated by the siege of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, and his marching out of the city and surrendering himself, his wives, his mother, his princes and officers to the king. He and they were all carried prisoners to Babylon. The king of Babylon also took his prisoners upwards of 10,000 of the nobility and leading men of the land, among whom was the prophet Ezekiel. Nebuchadnezzar then made Zedekiah, the uncle of the last king and brother of his father, king of Judah. It was in the midst of scenes like these that Nephi's childhood was spent. His father must have been familiar with the predictions of the prophet Jeremiah, who for upwards of thirty years before Lehi and his family left Jerusalem had been declaring the word of the Lord unto the people. It is more than likely that he knew him personally. At the time of Nephi's last visit to Jerusalem, the prophet Jeremiah was in prison. There were other prophets also whom Lehi either knew personally or at least was acquainted with in their predictions. Nephi, as a child, was trained in the knowledge of the prophecies. This is apparent in his teachings. He quotes the words of three prophets, whose predictions we have no record, Zenic, Neum, and Zenus, except the quotations from them which appear in the Book of Mormon. Their predictions and the predictions of another prophet of which none have yet come to us, Esaias, by name, as well as those of Moses, Joseph, Isaiah, and all the prophets from the beginning down to his own day, they brought with them upon the plates of brass to this land. Nephi, in speaking of the prophecies of Isaiah, from which he quoted largely, says that the Jews understood the things of the prophets spoken unto them, as no other people not taught after their manner could. That he was trained in these things at Jerusalem is easily perceived from what he says, for he understood their style and their predictions were plain to him. This was an advantage to him afterwards in teaching his people. Thank you for listening to the Rare Possessions Podcast from the archives of Book of Mormon Central. For the latest information on additions to the Book of Mormon Central archive, or to inquire about archive items like this one, visit us online at archive.bookofmormoncentral.org.